Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Zoe Rose Bryant's interview with the Oscar-nominated star of Baz Luhrmann's Elvis, Austin Butler, followed by Emma Sasek's interview with the re-recording mixer, sound designer, and supervising sound editor for Elvis. Oscar nominee, Wayne Pashley. There are some who'd make me out to be the villain of this here story. Let's don't let a good thing die. Are you born with destiny? Or does it just come knocking at your door? He's a young singer from Memphis, Tennessee. Give him a warm hayride welcome. Mr. Elvis Presley. Get a haircut, buttercup. In that moment, I watched that skinny boy transform into a superhero. Hey, Zoe. Hi, this is Zoe Rose Bryant from Next Best Picture. Happy to talk with you today. Uh, happy to talk with you as well. So first of all, congratulations on the movie and its massive success thus far and all the accolades and acclaim it's earned. Um, I'm a huge fan of the film. It's my mom's favorite movie of the year as well. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. I wanted to start by talking about the crazy ride that you and this film have had since its premiere at the Cannes Film Festival. And I was wondering if you felt like you could pinpoint the moment when everything really exploded for you, like the moment that made you realize how big Elvis had become? Well, I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is, is Can itself, because it was the first time that I had seen this film. I waited until until that moment. And, and so walking into that theater, the nerves of, of all of that, and then, and then finally getting to feel the reception of the audience in that moment of first watching the film. And then when the lights came up at the end and getting to, you know, look at all the people that, were surrounding me that had made the film with me and then also a ton of people in the audience who I admired who, you know, I could see their beaming faces and it just, it felt really special to me. That's great. That's lovely. And what was it specifically about the life and legacy of Elvis Presley that drew you to a project like this in the first place and made you as passionate as you are about it? It was a combination of things. It was one, just the, the endless fascination with anybody who is so widely known that, that he's become almost like the wallpaper of society and, and culture. But yet behind that, you know that he's only ever a human. So so what are all those those very human things that he went through? And so it, it was it was the, 
the one, the obsession was the dynamism of him and, and how he was on stage. Like I, I knew that that was going to require me to have to dig into bits of myself that I didn't let out. And so I knew that I would come out a changed person in that way because I, I wasn't a dancer or a singer. Or, and so I knew that that would change me on a personal level and that it would just be a joy to get to explore that. But then also, also just the endless fascination of after he's on stage, experiencing the love of an audience in that way. What does it feel like in an empty hotel room by himself? And those were, that was a few of the reasons. And what do you think Elvis shows us that countless films and television shows about Elvis's life have not before? What's new about how Baz Luhrmann's film presents this story? Well, for one, it's the fingerprint of Baz. You know, it's, it's, it's the way that he chose to tell it in a way similar to Amadeus. You know, Baz always talks about that, how it's exploring these themes that go beyond just an individual. And, you know, Amadeus being about jealousy and, and this film being about so many things, but, but some of it being how Elvis was, was this sort of through line through America in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and how, how that then relates to today and, and, and the, the tumult of the world right now. So there's all of that. But it's also... It's, it's hard to tell a story of an entire person's life within the span of one film, but I think Baz did a beautiful job of weaving in all the influences that Elvis had of, of you know, being down Beale Street or gospel and juke joints and country music and sort of seeing the prism that Elvis was of all this inspiration and how that then leads to the rest of his life unfolding. Yeah, and like you said, this film bites off a lot. It covers, you know, a huge span of his life, and yeah. it looks on screen, you know, that it's this you're this effortless embodying of this role, but we all know it takes so much work, and I'm curious what the hardest part of that quote-unquote transformation into Elvis Presley was for you. I think the hardest part is, is the balancing of, on, on one hand, the intricacies of his movements, the way he spoke, the way he sang, all these technical things that are sort of the external things that we will see. But if you just focus on those and you don't have his heart and his spirit, then then it doesn't feel like it's happening right now for the first time. And so the trickiest thing for me was was balancing how to be as meticulous as possible, but but never making it about the external, that it had to be the, the internal spirit moving me in a physical way or, or the way that my voice was or anything like that. But that was... That was sort of the tightrope that I, I was walking. And was there anything special that you did at the start of every day to really get into character, like the start of your process? Well, I, I was I was fortunate to have a year and a half before we started filming, so there were many things that in that time it sort of allowed it to sink into my bones, you know, where then I, I could have shortcuts to time periods because we were filming out of sequence, so I, I had certain recordings or footage that every morning when I when I knew what we were doing, I would, as I, the hours that I spent in the hair and makeup chair, I would I'd be watching or listening, or sort of clicking into that the time period that we were in that day, and then I've made a, a timeline of of his entire life so I could look at where he was spiritually, physically, emotionally, what his fears were at that point, and sort of lock into his psyche in that, in that time. And so then I could I could see what what's just happened before and what is this leading to and sort of just place myself in the time and space. 
Yeah, and, and like you mentioned, that year and a half of preparation you have, I know that production also lasted over a year, especially because of the COVID delays. And yeah. I'm curious, how do you begin to unwind and get to, quote unquote, normal after all of that? <laughs> after that, yeah. It, uh, the first week after was, was really so awesome because I spent so much time every day doing nothing else but this you know, obsession of, with Elvis and so in a way, my whole meaning of my life for that period of time felt like it was just to do him justice and to to be as honest as I possibly could within that world. And you get done and you kind of go, if that was the meaning, then, then where is the meaning for me? And what's my purpose in life? And all those kind of existential questions that start like an avalanche falling over you, you know? <laughs> Thankfully, I had a job that I was going to right after, so... I could transfer that energy into that and sort of use all the learning that I was then, you know, reading about and, and everything. The next job I was doing was about World War II, so I kind of just started investing all that energy that I had into that. And so I was I was fortunate to have work to kind of start shifting. And how has your work and process with Elvis impacted or influenced those roles that you've taken since and will take in the future? I mean, in so many ways, but when I first began working on Elvis, it just seemed like such a, a nearly impossible task. And there were times where I really questioned if I was capable and those types of things. And then when you have those moments where some magic happens on set that, that you weren't expecting and, and you reach something that, that feels like it transcends what you, what you may have expected something to be, it's given me faith that if you do the work you can then show up on set and be present. And even if you have fear or questions about anything, that if you've done the work, that you'll be okay. So it's kind of, it's changed my relationship to fear, I think, and, and also caused me to now, you know, I went, I went immediately into working on other things and I did three projects back to back right after. So now, so now I have a little bit of time and it's more kind of shifting how I, I look at the next role that I want to take on. Because some of it was just kind of the momentum of finishing working and knowing that I'm probably going to lose my mind if I don't go to work immediately. So I kind of just wanted to jump right into something. But now that I have a little bit of time, it's, it's making me think about the course of what type of character I want to sink my teeth into next. Kind of spinning off that in terms of other roles that have impacted you. Um, I'm from the generation that grew up with you on like Hannah Montana and iCarly <laughs> and the Carrie Diaries and all of that. And I've always been curious how you view those experiences as fitting into this larger story of your career and how they got you to where you are today. I'm so grateful for those experiences because this shapes me in so many ways. And, and I met so many amazing people along the way. And it's fascinating how, you know, I was doing extra work when I was 11 years old on a Nickelodeon show. And one of the ADs, a guy named Vince, he sort of took me under his wing and started giving me acting books and telling me to watch, you know, all the AFI top 100 films or whatever. And it became this branch upon which I ended up learning so much. And that's just one of those experiences. So. I don't spend a lot of time sort of looking back, but when I do, I, I realize how each one of those things, even if at the time I may have thought, you know, I wish I was doing something like Raging Bull right now, but then you realize you're not ready for that. You, you got to learn and get deeper and learn more about yourself and about craft. And I'm so grateful for all those experiences because they've, they've led me to here today, you know. 
kind of to cap things off, you've had such an impressive run working with so many acclaimed auteurs as of late, like Quentin Tarantino and Baz and Denny Villeneuve and so on and so forth. And I'm curious what your next dream collaboration would be. That's, that's a great question. I, I think one that would be an absolute dream for me is Paul Thomas Anderson. Mm-hmm. I just adore his films and him as a person. And yeah, that would be such a dream. Okay, well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Best of luck on everything for you and the rest of this year. Thank you. I hope that you have a great rest of your day, and I hope to talk to you again soon. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Irvin once told me when things are too dangerous to say, sing. I'm going to be fortitude, and nobody's going to remember me. I need to get back to who I really am. And who are you, Oz? I just gotta be making the most of this thing while I can. This could all be over in a flash. the same you and i we are two odd lonely children reaching for eternity starting things off with first of all congratulations but second second of all how are you feeling about all of this well pretty amazing i mean i gotta say look it's great it's fantastic and we're, we're obviously very thrilled to be still part of the conversation because at the end of the day we released in june you know, yeah. and, and we honestly thought there's a high likelihood the film will get forgotten, really? you know, and also knowing that there's such big movies this year, you know, and big sound movies, honestly, you know. And so with all that in mind, we, we had high hopes. But at the end of the day, I have to thank Baz Luhrmann because his relentless pursuit of keeping Elvis Presley's name alive throughout this last six months and particularly in this last push at the awards season sort of business. So, yeah, so obviously very thrilled. What will come, who knows, but, yeah, nice to be recognised. You're you're just enjoying the journey at this point. Well, that's right, you know, and it's lovely to talk to people like yourself too to sort of like just keep the film out there because no matter how you look at it, and I was talking to... uh, the editor, Matt Villa, the other day saying, doesn't matter, what, whatever happens, you know, Elvis, the movie with Austin Butler, Baz Luhrmann film has gone down in cinema history. So what more can you want? Did you expect any and all of this to happen? I, I live in Palm Springs, so I had the chance to actually speak with Baz and Austin the other day at the Palm oh, wow. Springs Film Festival. And Baz was telling me, releasing it to the Khan audience, no idea what the reception was going to be like. And then once they had that 12-minute standing ovation, I mean, that told them one thing, but what does that mean outside of Cannes? Will other people love it? And obviously, it was such a huge success last year. I mean, did any of that come across your mind as you were working on this film? Well, look, honestly, I I had a sneaking suspicion. I mean, Baz is very iterative filmmaker, and so he... Constantly is in, in in motion and each subsequent edit and version of the film we get where the music has changed, the edits changed, the pacing's changed, all those things. I know, because I've worked with Baz for 30 years now, I know that the exploration has to, has to take place. And, of course, being a, a story or a movie that has to expand Elvis's entire life, 
was a really, really big challenge. So, look, end of the day, when, uh, look, I'm a huge Elvis fan, always have been. I, my mother is, my <laughs> wife is. When we were working on it, some young people, we said, oh, yeah, they're working on this film about Elvis Presley, and they were like 17, 18-year-olds and stuff, and they were saying that their group friends are actually into Elvis. Oh, wow. So I kind of thought, well, this is a clue yeah. That, yeah. that that all of a sudden, like without the movie being released or anything, there was a – that Elvis still was happening, you know, mm-hmm. for the youth, which was exciting. So I had a sneaking suspicion that, you know, people would enjoy the film. And look, what's not to love about Austin Butler after all? I mean, <laughs> very easy on the eyes to begin with. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Not to, not to obviously say that the performance isn't incredible as well, but I mean, really a film that just excited yeah. and electrified audiences as the person that he was too. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, is that Austin was not only one of the hardest working people I've ever worked with, but the one of the most courteous, so, so friendly, so nice, uh, just worked hard and was such a pleasure, you know, throughout. So it was a great journey, of course, same with Tom Hanks. Yeah, because Tom, Tom was awesome as well. He completely, completely embraced the character, completely embraced, you know, Elvis Presley and what we were doing. Yeah, it's, exci- it's exciting, you know. That's wonderful. Since you did mention that you and Boz have worked together for for many years at this point, I knew that coming into this. And, you know, I was curious how this film compared to the scale of some of those previous films, like like The Great Gatsby, which you two collaborated on, and and how those past collaborations maybe helped you go getting into this whole big process that you ended Mm -hmm. up getting into. An interesting question. Uh, uh, earlier films, Australia, for example, and Gatsby, particularly Australia, was very, very hard. Really, really hard work. Yeah, they're all hard. Don't get me wrong, but there's something about Elvis that really was very smooth in its journey. Yes, we had a lot of iterations and changes and audience previews and oh, we're going to change this, do that, whatever, which is normal in in the in the practice, but. I think that Baz, Baz trusts what I'm going to do and the approach I'll take. And he lets me kind of go. You know, he gives me a lot of rope. And uh, whether I hang myself or not, occasionally that happens. But uh, he's always so collaborative, you know, and he'll sort of respect what I've had a go at or what I want, but he might have a different take on it. And I think th- through the post-production process with Baz, he's so busy. You know, with, you know, grading, editing, visual effects, the whole thing he's being, you know, so I try to stay as much as I can out of his way <laughs> until I really need something from him. And generally, generally we come together uh, on these various temp mixes and that's where all the clues come. And also within bringing the actors back in for whatever they need to do. So you start to pick up the clues of where it's all at, but really I think, um, we don't have to do a lot of, a lot of kind of hassling of each other. That's you good. know, which is really good, you know, working with him on, you know, Strictly Ballroom 30 years ago. I mean, I, I still remember times where I was recording loop group, like some of the crowd sequences, and Baz would come in and join the crowd and lend his voice to it. Like his energy was just so fantastic. And I have a fair bit of energy too. So we, we do we do match up pretty well. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Would you say those are all reasons why you have wanted to continue this working collaboration with them because you both understand each other, both very hardworking and obviously the films that I have seen from him always, you never really know what to expect from him. Well, that's right. And, but the thing is what I love about Baz is I'm so fortunate because in, in our period of working within the film industry, uh, and I've worked with a lot of people, Baz is always to me one of the most magical experiences because he is a risk taker, you know, and he makes you become a risk taker. He's an innovator. So you want to become an innovator. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, uh, he's a great leader. I've learned so much from him. So you get all those things. And so when you, you know that when you're about to get onto a Baz Luhrmann picture, it's not going to be anything but completely spectacular, both in the drama and in the razzmatazz. Resum- uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> what's I love about that? Gee, this, the, the, the stories over the years I could bore you with, but it's, it's just, it, it's the essence of what I love about filmmaking and the love of entertainment. And that's what he brings, you know, he's his own genre, honestly. He really isn't. I mean, every film stands on its own and it's something different, but there's always some component that is very Baz Luhrmann. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, look, I'm sure there was a time I've seen him, you know, like debate whether like the Baz, the Baz sort of like brand is a little too much. Should he pull back? But at the end of the day, he's embraced it. He knows that's what he is. That's what he does. He likes you it. Like it or you don't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all, you should have fun when you're making a film, especially since it's such a grueling process, which I can only oh. imagine. <laughs> oh, look, and, and he makes it fun. I mean, I remember on Strictly Ballroom thinking, who was going to want to watch a movie about ballroom dancing? And when I was watching, it was on VHS at the time, I could not wait to get to the next, you know, cassette. Yeah. <laughs> because you just go, look at the sequence. Look at, look at the flouncies twirling. I mean, honestly. <laughs> and, of course, the music. Always. Oh, boy. oh, boy, oh, boy. I mean, does that man know his audience and does, and, and stay in touch with the youth? Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> It's, you know, when, when you've got people like, you know, combining Doja Cat and Shonka with Hound Dog doing that, doing um, Bill Street there and just a number of collaborations on this film, let alone the other films. Yeah. From Black Eyed Peas and all that stuff from Gatsby and, and mm-hmm. on it goes. Gee, whiskers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what's not to love? I know. I mean, that was going to be my next question. I know that you have his films you yourself have kind of worked with a celebration of sound in many different ways but this obviously kind of takes it to a whole new scale in terms of the artist that it is portraying had you ever worked on a a movie musical before i know this isn't a traditional musical in the sense but lots of music featured throughout and was this a very intimidating task to be (laughs) presented with it was intimidating. Um, when Baz first came to our studio and said that we're going to make it, I was completely like spun out by it for you, beauty. 
because I knew about it since Gatsby. I knew, so it took the five years, but I kind of, you know, but this was the thing. And he came and pitched um, what he was going to do. It was kind of interesting because he just pitched it out loud and I could see him sort of for the first time thinking about the sonic th- th- thing that that was Elvis Presley. And so as as he was speaking, I could see him thinking and because he obviously was had written the script and all that sort of stuff, but the opportunities that were available to us with the life of Elvis. So I was sitting there as this was going on, just getting blown away and thinking, okay, so what is Elvis is the music? What Elvis is the crowds, the cars, the guitars, all that sonic world. And you go, okay, so music is number one. Crowds are going to be number two. Now, how do we also now sell uh, what Baz is telling me here, like a, a, a cultural shift from the 50s, 60s and 70s across his entire life? How are we going to do that on a on an authentic period base as well to encapsulate that time period? So all that stuff was my head was filled with, and it was very, very intimidating. You know, once we realized that it was going to become quite a montage-heavy narrative mm-hmm. in order to get those three decades, in fact, if you want to add four, because Colonel Tom Parker's dying in the 90s. So you've got the 90s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and you kind of go, okay, we have to make these sound effects very clear, very clean, and very authentic, number one. Number two, how through the montage narrative, when we have to kind of scoot through a period, whether it be the Hollywood period of Elvis, how do we scoot through that and lend a historical accuracy? So that's when uh, the Warner Brothers legal department probably hate me now. But what we did was we went through and found uh, all the relevant people uh, uh, who had made commentary or headlines about Elvis Presley, we did a lot of research there and looked at each of those decades, found the best stuff and re-recorded it. Mm-hmm. So things, some, some in fact are archive, like you know, rock and roll has got to go or or mm-hmm. Hank Snow, um, we, it, we got David Wenham back in to re-record quotes that he made about how much he hated Colonel Tom Parker. That sort of thing, what Elvis was doing to the establishment in the 50s, you know, how that was affecting the, the the whole segregationist movement and all that sort of stuff. And the fact that when he got sent to, to Germany, when he got, you know, shipped out, all those things are now peppered right through the film. So that was going to give us a, what we call a sonic glue, mm-hmm. where, where transitionally you may not hear every word because it's all used as sound effects, but you feel the tension. Mm. You feel feel the tension of the voices all around you and you might catch, you know, this or that. But, I mean, at the end of the day, if you played it on its own, you would hear all the actual yeah. quotes from yeah. the Memphis guys, Hank Snow, whatever it might be. And so that was another approach we took. We thought, okay, Baz asked for a whirlwind of sound, right, in within the sonic architecture, and that was a way to help sell it along with the sound effects, along with the music, and of course, the crowds, mm-hmm. which were monumental challenge because of COVID. Gosh, so, I can imagine. Yes, not only just the work that you do with maintaining those levels and ooh. sound, but COVID too. Well, that's right. Well, because the crowds were so very important to the story and thematically for Elvis, because you know, hey, did he? You know, he did he die because of our love for him and all that stuff and his love for us and 
what he did to himself, but those crowds, we had to make it feel so immersive. So when you're watching the movie, you felt like you were witnessing Elvis Presley for the first time, particularly as a younger audience who was maybe not been that familiar. And also to sell the idea that the hysteria that he created <laughs> when he first appeared on stage, <laughs> not just with the women, I might add. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I mean, come on. You know, but I mean, just see the the men, the fathers in this film who are like, you are not watching this man ever again. Well, well, but then there's, you know, like, I mean, what a sensation. And a scream is not just a scream. You know, yeah. you look at a scream in a sound effects library, it's going to be some horror thing and you've got a female, you know, terror. But the that, that Beatles mania, if you like, or the Elvis mania doesn't exist in sound libraries. Or anything. It all had to be done. So that was that was a huge challenge on the crowd thing to make you feel like you were there. Mm-hmm. Baz told us during the during the final mix, uh, there was the sequence where where Elvis goes through that rehearsal, then ends up on the stage at Vegas for the first time. Mm-hmm. And you know we had the crowds, we had five hundred strong, you know, surround recordings and crowds going off. We had all the detailed crowds from the loop group people that we recorded. And Baz said, "I'm just missing something." When you walk on stage like that, there's a sound that I'm going to call keening. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's, and it's a, it's a, it's a kind of like a, a shock noise to the ear that mm-hmm. there is no detail. And he said it happened to him twice when he, I think he went on stage in Madison Square with like U2 or something. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing U2, it was something like that. And he said he heard this sound for that. So we had to go. <laughs> So based on that description. You have to figure that out. <laughs> figure that out. So this keening was very important, this kind of wall. So when you're on the stage and you're facing that, when you're Elvis Presley, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And that, refer- that refers to, like, I guess, like a the wave that you feel when you are one single body on stage against thousands around you. That's right. That's right. Now, I have never had people keen for me, but... I should say I have myself. <laughs> I'm sure you have, Emma. <laughs> but, yeah, so we try. So that all that stuff uh, was such a monumental challenge, but just so exciting. And Baz only has to say if few words. Basically, he said this when we first started, was we're going to make the Great American Operatic Tragedy. So it's like, well, quick, write that down. Uh, we have to... To the end of this project, is we have to protect Elvis Presley's legacy. And then he just said four words. This soundtrack needs to be triumphant, emotional, gorgeous, and awesome. <laughs> and he walked out the door. There's no pressure with that, if you ask me. <laughs> but what a great way to, like, end the meeting. And then you go, okay, this is this is something we yeah. got to do it. <laughs> yeah, it's something it really is. And uh, we were fortunate enough to have the one of the editors, Matt Villa, in our building uh, during the shoot period because of the COVID stuff and people uh, trying to reduce travel and all that. And so uh, Matt was upset and he'd get he'd get the dailies in and he'd show us he'd show us a scene that was coming in and it wow. The excitement was palpable and so we quickly decorated the entire building with Elvis paraphernalia. Just to surround everybody. <laughs> <Big fans. laughs> yeah. 
I'm curious, since this spans so many different decades, did you use any sound recording equipment from that time in order to reproduce yeah. that sound? Yeah. Maybe I'm sure maybe some of the instruments, microphones, all of that probably dated back to those decades. That's exactly right. Well, that's yeah. what we had to do because yeah. the, because we were doing that um, mesh between uh, Austin mm-hmm. and Presley mm-hmm. from the 60s and 70s. I mean, Austin's full tilt uh, him in the 50s. Mm-hmm. Where, um, we, we, he had all the same gear, all restored vintage mics with the Shaw 55. Wow. Uh, the amplifiers are all being restored for the band. The cars are all the drum kit, everything. Yeah. So all that stuff is completely authentic. But of course, with the, with the, the 68 comeback special, the NBC and then mm-hmm. the 70s Vegas shows, Austin had to use the same microphone that Elvis used in order to, cause we knew that we were going to use more Elvis than not in the 70s. But there's many times that we're constantly, um, flicking between Austin and Elvis and it's seamless. Yeah, because it's not, well, he was our secret weapon at the end of the day. I mean, because he could sing like Elvis, it wasn't a big deal. We just had to get the sonic match mm-hmm. to work, you know. Yeah, so all that stuff was restored and gathered by this incredible music props department. There was a whole separate section. So during the shoot, you had the, you know, the props and all that and doing all the, all the set deck. But then you had the uh, standalone music props where all the mic stands were authentic, you know, for example. So going in there at the end, I went in to record everything I could in the last two weeks of shoot. So get, went through this extraordinary treasure trove in, in the props world so with the cameras and the, the record players and the, yeah, all that stuff. And then going through it. So just on my own with a, um, with a recorder and just recorded everything. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and that was, then we recorded all the vehicles as well. But, but yeah, I just went through and just grabbed everything I could, gathered up the microphones that we then took into post-production, you know. So we had like a kit that we'd send out. Then Austin had his kit in, in Los Angeles when uh, we were doing sort of fix-up stuff within the performances where, you know, Elvis may go off mic, but then Austin would fill it. To be <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The secrets, the secrets of magic, uh, <laughs> movie making. <laughs> oh yeah, it was like it was a real stitch together at times. But the early material with um, Austin in the fifties was just that's him. Off he went. Yeah. What a very cool opportunity to kind of go back in time with some of those microphones oh, and instruments. Oh. What a treasure trove that you oh, had access to. Oh yeah, you should see my library now. It's fantastic. <laughs> and I got like photos of everything and. Oh yeah, no, it was a great joy. And, and you know, it was wonderful because the, uh, all the other departments just opened up for me, you know, it's like the, uh, uh, and what was weird was, uh, walking onto these sets that were still up, you know, and it was in the last two weeks. I think they were on location when I went up there, but basically the, stu- the, the, the lot was kind of empty. So I was walking around these sets with, you know, roulette tables, you know, that I could just record and, all this sort of stuff and like going into club handy that's empty, but with the fridges and all that sort of business. And then of course I walked into Elvis's bedroom set, which on my own, then it was a bit dark because all the lights were down at the time. And it was, it was completely like otherworldly. It was, it was a spinner and um, yeah, recording the phones and all that sort of stuff that were there. But yeah, so it was a lot of fun. 
Yeah. I would say it sounds like a good time. <laughs> <laughs> Great opportunity. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, we we had a lot of help with the cars. We had about 18 or maybe 20 vehicles to record as well. So all the, the engines, the doors, the things and all that. So we recorded all those as well. Mm-hmm. Maybe uh, taking some out for a joyride too. Nobody has to know. <laughs> they actually wouldn't let me drive. I had oh, to darn st- it. <laughs> I had to have a stunt driver because like that, Eldorado, the, the, the big, um, uh, Cadillac there, the purple one, like that's a two ton vehicle. I mean, that is monstrously heavy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, they weren't, they weren't going to let me drive it. <laughs> Maybe next time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess, you know, as we wrap up our conversation, what would you say, um, either was the most surprising thing for you to learn about this legend who at this point we've seen so much about his life and learned and, you know, I mean, the music obviously has withstood the test of time. But for you, what was either a highlight or just a surprising tidbit of knowledge that, you know, you, you gained through this project? I think if I was to really be honest about it, I would say it was the relationship with Colonel Tom Parker. I kind of knew of him, but I didn't know really what he was to Elvis. Now, he, yes, he's the villain of the story, if you like. You know, he is the antagonist. He is the unreliable narrator and all those things. But I think at the end of the day, as, as selfish as he was and all those things, at the end of the day, the guy was a genius. He made Elvis the biggest brand on the planet. It was as big as Coke, you know, or, you know, some might even argue bigger. And I think that Colonel Tom Parker, what a crazy, some sort of Dutch mentalist where he would be able to to get deals done simply because he would terrify those he was talking to mm-hmm. because he thought, he actually thought that he had some ability to be a mentalist. And with his crazy accent flicking around and all that sort of stuff, I, I think a lot of people just signed the deal just to get him away. I would think so. They're like, I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> so, so I think that was the big thing for me, uh, like, you know, the destruction is terrible, what happened, and we've all heard those stories before about the, you know, the the, the show and the biz, you know, you've got Elvis the show and Colonel the biz and sometimes and that clash, you know, and, and I think greed gets in the way and all those things. But I honestly think my big takeaway, because I knew so much about Elvis anyway, my big takeaway was Colonel Tom and their relationship, to be honest. That certainly was for me too because I knew – what I knew about Elvis prior to that, but it was kind of a whole new dive for me with this oh, strange yeah. character, we'll just call him. <laughs> yeah, he very, it really is a Faustian sort of pact between the two of them, you know, yeah. and and ultimately it ends up by being this Shakespearean tragedy, and that's, wow, it still breaks my heart. And, like, it just breaks my heart when I, when I you know, I've just read a biography on Marilyn Monroe, Mm. Sort of a little bit before that. And it's the same sort of thing. You just go, wow, these icons and just the the destruction that happens around them. It's amazing. I know. I know. Never cease to amaze. Yeah. Well, Wayne, I just want to thank you so much for your time today. You were such a pleasure to chat with and to learn about. (laughs) We could talk for hours. I know we could. (laughs) We have to get you in one of those cars one of these days. That's going to become my my life mission now for you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, you try parking in El Dorado. Yeah, Yeah, look, um, fantastic. And thank you so much for taking interest in Elvis and um, for your support. Of course. 
Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to Zoe Rose Bryant's interview with the Oscar-nominated lead actor for Elvis, Austin Butler, and Emma Sasek's interview with the re-recording mixer, sound designer, and supervising sound editor for Elvis, Oscar nominee, Wayne Pashley, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Elvis is up for your consideration for Best Picture, Best Actor, and Best Sound at the 95th Annual Academy Awards. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.